0: This past week, my wife introduced me to this new social network, virtual network. It's the phenomena called Facebook. (laughs) Those of you who do not know what Facebook is, it is a computer site, a network, where if you go there, you can set up your own website, and there you have a profile about you, pictures and videos and uh, you have a way to connect uh, with friends all over the world, over the place. I've uh, been able to do that this past week, and uh, got in touch with folks I hadn't really talked to in 15, 20 years. Uh, but it's, it's, it's kind of an interesting thing altogether. It will consume your time if you allow it. But uh, my wife's introduced me to it, and it's, it's been interesting. Those of you who may be on it, we do have a Green Pine section where you can get on there and, and network there if you like to use computers and that. But, you know, it's when you look at these profiles, uh, you know, folks want to have in a brief uh, description about who they are. And so they'll pick pictures that well, may reflect some aspect of their personality. They'll put little symbols up there for things that represent what they like, what they desire, what they're a part of. It's filled with signs. We operate by signs. We've got to know quickly uh, succinctly about people, and we don't have time to elaborate about all that we are, so we throw signs out, and we use, use them all the time. Uh, you can drive down the road and see this on your car, you can see it on your dress, how you carry yourself, is just filled with signs. And so as I read this chapter that we'll be studying today, chapter 17, we look at a section where it's as if God is asking, what's your sign? I need a sign from you. What is your expression that uh, really reflects an inward quality about who you are? Now, believe me, God doesn't need signs. He knows who you are. You don't have to explain it. God knows the secrets of your life, the secrets of your heart. But what he wants to hear from you is an expression of faith, of trust, of loyalty and love that you might have on his character and thus glorify God. Declare his greatness with the signs of your life. In chapter 17, he asked for a very specific sign from Abram. He says, I just want you to do this. I want your family to do it. Anybody that's in your household to do it as a sign to reflect an inward quality about who you are. So we're going to look at this this morning and, and look at this covenant that's reaffirmed in chapter 17. And we're going to look at the signs that God God is asking for in our life today to express something about the Lord. And so, if you'll turn with me to this chapter, we're going to read the entirety of this chapter. Um, And if you'll do so by standing as we read in honor of what we read, this being God's revealed word to us. And when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me, and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee, and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations." Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham, for a father of many nations have I made thee. And I'll make thee exceedingly fruitful, and I'll make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I'll establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee, and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a god unto thee, and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee, and to thy seed after thee, the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their god. And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant, therefore thou and thy seed and after thee in their generations. And this is my covenant which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised. And you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be taken of the covenant between me and you. And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you. Every man child in your generations, he that is born in the house, are bought with money of any stranger, which is not of thy seed. And he that is born in thy house, and he that is bought with thy money, must needs be circumcised. My covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised man-child, whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people, and he hath broken my covenant. And God said unto Abraham, As far as Sarai thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall her name be. And I will bless her, and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations, King of kings of people shall be of her. Then Abraham fell upon his face, and laughed, and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old, and shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? And Abraham, Abraham said unto God, O oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. And God said, Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him, for an everlasting covenant, and with his seed after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard thee. Behold, I have blessed him, and will make him fruitful, and will multiply him exceedingly. And twelve princes shall he beget, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set time in the next year. And he led off talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. Abraham took Ishmael's son, and all that were born in his house, and all that were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and circumcised the flesh of the foreskin in the self same day, as God had said unto him. And Abraham was ninety years old and nine when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael his son was thirteen years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. In the self same day was Abraham circumcised, and Ishmael his son. And all the men of his house, born in the house, and bought with money of the stranger, were circumcised with him. You may be seated. Well, as we read this, we find simply and clearly that the sign is circumcision. (laughs) Have you ever tried preaching about circumcision? Thankfully, I don't have too much time uh, to do so. Uh, But nonetheless, that's what we're going to do. That's that's what God asked uh, of Abraham. You see the first verse. Check out the age. Abraham was 99 years old. It has been about 24 years since Abraham moved from his homeland into the land that God had promised him. It's been 13 years since the end of chapter 16. Remember chapter 16? He had heard the promises of God that there was going to be a son coming from him and his wife Sarah. So maybe it's through Hagar because it's not obviously happening through me. And so the Egyptian servant came in, and from that union was Ishmael, and 13 years has passed. For all Abraham knows, Ishmael is the one that God had said would come. So he's spending his life with with this young teenage boy now, and saying, you know what, this is the one. he is rearing him up to be the promised child, given first in Genesis chapter 12, that unconditional covenant of God with Abram in verses 1 through 3 that from him would be someone that all the nations would be blessed and then we see this repeated in chapter 15 God reconfirms that covenant with him and talks about the land and that's when God walks through uh, the animal split apart that blood path saying that upon God's character would be the penalty if this covenant was broken Abraham could not uphold the covenant, so God took the price of Abraham's sin through his son Jesus, walking another bloody path uh, for us. And so here we have the third confirmation of this covenant. But this is different because now there are conditions uh, given in this, and the emphasis is not on the land, but on the descendants that would come after him. And God uh, gives Abraham more information and say, yeah, it's going to happen through Sarah, your wife. And it's uh, specifically through this union. And so uh, the Lord appeared to Abraham in this first verse. And basically Abraham fell on his face. This is only the second time that we have recorded in the Bible that God in some physical manifestation appears to a person. The other one was Adam uh, that this occurs. And, And this is the reaction that is appropriate. If we ever have our mouths dropped in wonder and amazement at the things that God has created, how much more should we drop our physical bodies at the, uh, the sight of who God is? If we do not stand in awe or fall in awe of who God is, it is only because we do not adequately see who God is in our life. Abraham gets a glimpse. Now, let me first tackle this by talking about the blessings of the covenant let's just kind of go through and see what does god promise what are the provisions made in this covenant you see first of all in verse two he says well i'm going to multiply you exceedingly literally exceedingly exceedingly in other words it's going to be a lot all right there there is going to be many folks that come from you and then we keep on reading and with verse four he says, you're going to be a father of many nations. And we go on down to verse 6. And from the sixth following, we find a list of several provisions that God's going to make in the midst of this covenant. First, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make nations of you. And kings shall come from you in verse 6. He says, there. And that's fascinating. God in his foreknowledge knew ...that one day the Israelite nation would would reject the prophets and God as king... ...and would want a man to be a king. And that was God's permissive will through Samuel. For those who like to study about these things... ...it is fascinating to consider how God's permissive will... ...was actually fulfillment of prophecy. There's a lot of things to consider when you think about God's ordaining work... ...electing work, his sovereignty as much as he also allows man to choose... There is nothing that God does not know, including the future choices of his creation. And so he says, there's going to be kings that will come from you. Verse 7, I'm going to establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant. In other words, this thing's going to continue on. There's going to be blessings that go on long after you die. Then we go to verse 8. He says, I will give to you descendants after you. The land, I'm going to give you the land. He says, the land of Canaan, this is the troubled spot today of where the nation of Israel is at, or some call the, the Palestine. It is that same area that God is saying is going to be granted to you as an everlasting possession. And then God says to Abraham, he says, I've got, I want you to do something. I want you to keep my covenant. I want you to keep my covenant. And then he goes on, and in the provisions, he says, you know what? As for your wife, Sarah... Yeah, you're going to have a child. If you go on down to verse 15, uh, verse 16, it says, I will bless her, bless her and give her a son, and she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people shall be from her. And that is Abraham's reaction. Falls again down twice. All right? I mean, this is, you can see, you can imagine this thing. First, he's falling down. Evidently, sometime in this encounter, he's gotten back up. And stood back up, only to hear that his wife is about to have, is going to have a child, and he falls down again for a totally different reason. Out of laughter. His wife is 90 years old. I, I just I just imagine that scene. Uh, I think it's just utter shock. I mean, for all this time, for the past 13 years, he's thinking, hey, you know, Hagar was the one, Ishmael is my son, and now my wife. It's been 24 years when they first heard this promise. Sarah has long given up hope a long time ago. And now she's just battling with resentment between her and this this competition of Hagar. And here you have it. I remember when the Zekmans, uh, when they announced uh, that they were having a baby, those of you who know the Zekmans, I just laughed. I thought, man, that's just, that's tremendous, you know? Uh, I was I was thankful, Um I was thankful that they had another child. I was thankful that that, you know, that wasn't me at that time. And and just, uh, you know, I, I just told him, I said, you need to, you need to call your son Isaac. Because that means laughter. Just he laughs. And, and so that's that's the, the shock that Abram feels. And later on, we find out that Sarah has the same reaction. I don't know, maybe Abraham doesn't tell Sarah or something. Because when she finds out, she laughs also. Uh, at this reaction, though her laughter seems to be out of disbelief, whereas Abram's laughter seems to be more out of just pure shock uh, about the whole thing. And so we see these provisions being made. He says, look, I'm going to do these things. You just hold on 24 years. It's interesting, after this passage, uh, it's about three months. Three months before Sarah starts feeling a little funny. And start feeling not quite as good as she used to. Within a year, exactly as God has promised, uh, prophesied, by the year's time, sure enough, Isaac is born to a 90-year-old lady. And a man who's almost 100. So these are the provisions of this covenant. Wonderful things indeed. Friends, I'm going to tell you that God wants to establish a covenant with you as well. Have you ever thought about the Bible, how it's named? You've got two parts. The Old, are you there? <laughs> old Testament? The New Testament. All right, New Covenant. Testament also means covenant. Have you ever wondered what God has provided for you? It is given to us in the New Testament. We study the New Testament see the provisions of God. And there's wonderful things that God has provided for you. The Bible says that as many as receive Jesus Christ, to them uh, who be- give them the right to become Children of God. Sons of God. That is a provision that God has given for us. We read Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in our heart, that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from God's holy wrath on your selfish living. That is a provision that is made for us. We keep on reading and we find that that God goes on and says, you know what? Not only I'm going to stop, I'm not going to stop there, but I'm going to make it so that it's not just you're forgiven, but I'm going to give you the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Uh, The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that he made uh, Jesus who knew no sin sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God. Not only am I forgiven, I'm right with God. I've been justified before God. Not only do these things come in uh, place, God has provided for us the very spirit of him. The spirit of God not to come alongside of us but to be a part of us inside of us that we now are the temple's of the Holy Spirit. First Corinthians chapter six, verse nineteen. Not only do we have the Spirit of God within us, Jesus has given us the provision of being. Uh, uh, the power and presence of him with us and Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20, that where, uh, wherever we go, the Lord is there as we go in his name, providing for him, uh, working with him and for him and sharing the gospel. He is there with us wherever we go. And then we have uh, passages in John chapter 14. He says, you know what? Not only am going to be with you as we go through this life, not only am going to be inside of you, not only have I made you my children, I have prepared a place for you that where I am there you may be also. He has provided an eternal sanctuary with God the Father forever with us. These are beautiful provisions that God has made. Each one of us study the New Testament so you know what God has provided for us. But as we go back to Genesis 17, let's look not just at the provisions, but let's look at uh, the conditions that are in this covenant. Let's Let's go all the way back, if you will, uh, to uh, the first verse to get the idea of what's being done here. We find in the very first verse, the Lord appeared to Abraham and he said to him, I am all-minded God. He gives him two commands. Walk before me and be blameless. Walk before me and be blameless. Abraham, everything you do, understand that you live before me. When you eat... Eat before me. When you are with your wife, live with her before me. When you parent your children, parent as before me. When you are working out in the fields, work as before me. Friends, understand that all that we do today is to be before God. We are to be as an open book before Him, and we live in that same vein. And then He says, Be blameless if the word blameless was referred to a sacrifice it meant to be without blemish but when it refers to a mankind a person it is the idea of wholeness be whole be complete what, what is he saying don't compartmentalize your life before god when you worship god worship him with all that you are. Friends, I found that if we're not careful, we can say, okay, I will worship God on this day and this day, and as long as I'm with these people, but when I'm by myself or when I'm with this group of people, I will not live as before God. I will not declare His greatness and how I live. That is not whole living. That is a, well, a hypocritical living and a lying living. Let me just ask you this. Well, David said it this way. You desire truth in the inward parts. So let me ask you. Being blameless means that you could say to anybody. Hey, come into my house right now unannounced. You can look in any closet you want. You can look into any drawer that you wish to look. You can look on my computer and check out every site that I've been to. And as you look into my life you will find that there is nothing that will cause a reproach to God. That's what we're talking about when we're saying blameless. Whole living before God. That's what he says to Abraham. Walk before me and be blameless. And then he says, I will make a covenant between me and you. And so let's keep on reading. We'll find what are some of these other conditions that he's asking of him. Well, as we see through these provisions, uh, that it comes on down where he says, this is what you're going to do. Verse 9, he first addresses Abram, then Sarah, and then Ishmael. And then he says, verse 9, as for you shall keep my covenant. And verse 10, this is my covenant with you that you shall keep between you and all your children. Every male shall be circumcised. And the flesh of your foreskins." This was not uh, a necessarily unheard of ritual. There were other groups that did this and that day and time. But God has taken this ritual and say, I want you to understand something. I want you to learn something. You are going to be different from every man. And this is involving the reproductive member of that man. He says, understand that every part of your body belongs to God, including that aspect as well. And so you understand that as you are different, you are different because you're giving yourself wholeheartedly to God. And your descendants will be different because of this. And you see that repeated as he goes on in verse 10 explaining this. In verse 11, he gives the details of this. In verse 12, he talks about when this is to be done, the eight days. Interestingly enough, uh, folks, uh, nurses and others, doctors have come back and realized that at eight days... A child's immune system is finally developed enough where they can have blood-clotting agents within their body. And it's at their highest levels in infants on precisely the eighth day of life, making the eighth day the safest, earliest day to circumcise an infant. Do you think Abraham knew that? Probably not. All right? We know that today. But Abraham probably didn't know that. You know, that kind of tells you the importance of obeying God to the details I mean, what if, what if Abraham said, well, you know, I think I'm at maybe the seventh day. I'm eighth day is busy. We've got some practices going on. Yeah, I can't do it on the eighth day. No. He says, if you did that on the seventh day, you've lost your child. All right? The details were important, and they still are important. When God speaks and gives you direction, do not be lazy with the things that God instructs us to do. And so we see the details being given out to Abraham, as he says, specifically on the eighth child. And then you go on verse 12. He says, not only to your own children of your generations, who's born in your house, but also the foreigner who is not of your descendant, who's working with you, who is a slave, they too shall be circumcised. This is one of the first mentions of the Gentile inclusion and God's promises. He says, it doesn't matter if they come from your descent. Uh, you're they're part of your house. They're part of you. You too. Uh, make sure they come into the covenant relationship with me and bear that sign. And then he talks about Sarah here and the blessings that come. And then he talks about Ishmael. He says, you know, you bring up Ishmael. He says, you know, you don't believe necessarily that this is going to be Isaac. No, it's going to be Isaac. It's going to be Sarah. I will not forget about Ishmael. I, too, will bless him and he will be a father of nations as well. The good news, though there's still a covenant relationship with God, circumcision is no longer the sign, all right? Good news, okay? However, the truth of that, the essence of it, is still there with us. In fact, it wasn't much later that God brings out the heart of this. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6, he says this, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart. ...and the heart of your descendants... ...to love the Lord your God with all your heart... ...with all your soul that you may live. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't talk about the flesh... ...he talks about the heart... ...that God's wanting to to cut away... ...the flesh of your heart... ...so that you will have a love for Him. You see, we are born with a love for ourselves. We're born with love for things. And whatever satisfies our desires... But God is saying, I want to work in your life, and the only way I can do that is cut it away from you so that you will have a heart sensitive to me. Colossians chapter 2, verse 11, uh, just in your mind when you wonder what what is this deal about circumcision and how does it relate to me, Colossians chapter 2 is your chapter. Let me read it to you. Verse 11 says this, in him, referring to Jesus, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith, in the working of God, who raised you from the dead. And goes on, verse 6, 17, says, These things are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Let me just explain this. We don't physically go through circumcision, but when you acknowledge Jesus as your saving Lord, Christ, There's a circumcising work in our heart. He gives us new desires. A desire to love God and exalt Him above and beyond the things of this world and what our desires tells us to do. He says this is symbolized through the baptism. And so, in some ways, circumcision takes on a relationship with the baptism and says that is an outward expression that reflects an inward uh, commitment in your heart. It's, it's, It's like the wedding ring. If, if you have a wedding ring and you have no inward commitment where you told your spouse, yes, and you told her that I'm going to say no to every other person of the opposite sex, it's just you, then this is just a ring unless you have that inward commitment. But when you have that commitment and wear that ring, it becomes the sign, the symbol. So baptism is a sign of us following Jesus Christ with all of our heart to love him and saying we're a new people. And so the conditions... Are, they, are not the same, but yet they are. Physically, no, we don't go through circumcision to represent the spiritual work. If, if that's done, it's just, it's just because of health reasons, not spiritual. It's what's in your heart. The problem is, sometimes we let the flesh grow over our heart again. When we get so concentrated and focused on the things of this world, and the desires of this world, that we lose our love for Jesus Christ. I think it may be fitting for us, for, for some of us to say, God, circumcise my heart again. Circumcise my heart again. Renew my love for you. And so we see the conditions of this. Why, why does God do this? Well, you know, my children, uh, when they wake up in the mornings, they sometimes are bounding down the stairs. Sometimes they do more of an ambling, depending on how they feel on that day. But oftentimes they come down with an agenda. Yeah, somewhere between getting up out of the bed and, and getting down to the bottom floor, plans pop into their head. And they come to me, or to my wife, and they say, hey, can we, you know, can we go watch a TV show, watch cartoons? Can we go uh, go on the computer? Can we? They've got all these agendas of things they want to do. And, you know, both of us, we've we got this practice that, you know what, maybe later, but before you do anything else, you need to talk to us and you need to give Daddy a hug. All right? And I tell him, I said, You got to give me a hug. Why? Well, you know, it, it states some priorities. And it is an expression, it is a sign to me that you're my daughter. And it is an expression to her that you're my daughter. And it is a renewing, a continuing building of a relationship that occurs. We know what God's doing here? He says, I want a sign. I want you to put aside your agendas. And I want you to just say that you are my God. And I will say to you that you are my child. How do we do that? Well, for Abraham, it was to be circumcised. For us, baptism. But not just Baptism. But a lifestyle of declaring the greatness of God. Of putting aside our selfish desires and taking on what Christ asks us to do. That's how we tell him, I love you, Father. And we're to continue on with these conditions. But so we've seen the provisions of this covenant. We've seen the conditions of this covenant. uh, And how they correspond to the New Testament world. But let's look at the new identities found in this covenant. Again, let's go back to the beginning of this chapter. And we go all the way to verse 4 and 5. He says, look, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram, which means exalted father. But now you'll be Abraham, father of many nations. Now, you imagine that was kind of tough for Abraham? I mean, he's kind of hanging out with the buddies and, and says, you know, don't call me, don't call me Abram. Many, call me father of many nations with his one son at 100 years old. Can you imagine that, what the guys may have been uh, giving him a hard time? But he was saying, yes, call me that. Not because of of any ability within me, but call me that because of what God can do. You see, there was a new identity given also before Abraham got his new name. Go all the way back to the first verse. What was this new identity? God introduced himself with a whole new name. Up to this point, we have not heard this name for God. It's found there when he said, uh, when the God appeared to him, he said, I am almighty God. Literally, El Shaddai. Okay? That's repeated some other places. Most of the times he's been referred to as Elohim, the God who creates. Now he says, not only is he the God who creates, he created the natural order, he is the God who is almighty, who can bend the natural order, who is greater than the natural order, who can do the supernatural. And because he is El Shaddai, God almighty, I will declare you Abraham, father of a multitude. No, it doesn't make any sense that a 100-year-old with a 90-year-old wife can have a child, but that's the whole point. I want to declare that I am almighty. You think about it. God could have had a child any way he wanted to do it. He could have He could have done it earlier on in their life when he was a young 50 uh, and she was a young 40, but that didn't happen. See, the difficulty wasn't a concern for God. He does that which is impossible. Nothing is too difficult for God. He is the almighty God. Friends, I'm going to tell you that God is still the almighty one. And you may be looking in your life and think, you know, Pastor, you're talking about having a heart change, a new desires. But you know what? I've been fighting stuff all my life. And I don't understand how that can happen. All I can do is point you to one who declares himself almighty. And I'm going to tell you, that means he is greater than whatever it is you're dealing with today. He is El Shaddai still. And then he goes on and we find that Abraham has a new name. And he we, and we goes on and extends to his wife, Sarai, who is now declared Sarah. Sarai literally means my princess. There in verse, verse 15. My princess. No longer will she be called my princess, but she will be called the princess. Not much difference, is there? Except for one major thing. Not only is he a princess just to Abraham, but now she becomes a princess to the nations. Because there will be a multitude who comes out from her. Someday, one who will be the king, who will be of the line of Isaac, and the one who will be of the scepter of Judah, who would be the everlasting king that would come from her. None other than Jesus Christ. Friends, I'm going to tell you that if you read the New Testament... And you make the New Testament your testament. And you say, you know, I hear what you're saying, Pastor. I hear that God can forgive me of my sins. I want to make him my king. I want to make him my Lord. And I will accept these conditions. I simply ask him to forgive me. And I want to make him king. I'm telling you, God can give you a new identity also. The Bible says simply this, 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Simply this, your old name was lost, but your new name is found. Your old name was sinner, but your new name is saint. Your old name is destined for hell and your new name is destined for heaven. You can say that there's a new name written down in glory and it's mine. Yes, it's mine. It is what God has done for you. There is a new identity. He did it in the Old Testament and he can do it in the New Testament. It is found after Jesus Christ. It's all tied to Jesus Christ. Are you a follower of him? Let me just ask you. If God could see your profile, are there any signs of faith, trust? Now, I'm not asking for a Christian bumper sticker, but is there an inward commitment in your heart that comes out outwardly in your obedience to Jesus Christ? Baptism is just a start of many things in following him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you, knowing us in our sinful state, wanted to have a relationship with us. I thank you that you are the covenant-keeping God. You don't just make promises and let them go. But you hold on, waiting even 24 years. Waiting when everyone says it's impossible and you do the impossible because it gives you the greatest glory. Lord... I pray that there would be every heart here that would follow you, would take up this covenant that you offer to them, Lord, giving their heart to you and letting you cut away, cut away the selfish desires of our heart so that we would love you and follow you with all of our heart, being blameless, walking before you as we walk out of here. Help us to keep in mind that we walk before you. I pray this in your name.